Deborah Joyhart, and I am live today on um, our webpage, which is Humor, Grace, and Grief. And today, I think uh, Jill might still be with a client. Lots of times she has clients and stuff. And so she won't be joining us, at least not till later, or she'll be commenting in the section. So um, I'm going to share this to my page. Hang on just a moment where I share it to none of these pages. How's that? Good. Here I am. I'm good. And uh, it's sort of interesting doing this by myself. I certainly don't mind. I do a lot of other Facebook stuff by myself. And I just want to check in and see how's everybody's Thanksgiving going. Um, in the background, I think you can see some white flowers that I bought. I don't do this every year since my mom had died about 20 years ago. And Daryl's mom died maybe about 16 years ago, something like that. And anyway, one of the things is uh, I just wanted to have them here. Our um, Thanksgiving wasn't the same for us. So I happen to love to cook. So what I did was uh, I made food and my husband made all the desserts and he made a couple side dishes. I made a vegetable side dish. Both of us went shopping. And then we just delivered it to the kids right here in town and to their children. And I bought a little something special or made something special for the different families. And, you know, it was perfectly, perfectly fine. How about you? What did you do for Thanksgiving? And how did, how did you feel this Thanksgiving? You know, that's that's sort of hard. It's hard to recognize how do we feel about something? And this this happens with with any kind of loss or even there's like a it's not just a tryptophan in your body that gives you the letdown. It is also your heart, you know, you've put so much energy into the event and then the event's over and there's always like a letdown. And depending on where we have griefs in our mind and in our heart, those letdowns go through that filter. And it, uh, it could feel like grief. And basically it's either a turkey letdown van let down or perhaps it's uh your feelings are coming up now that you've done with all the busyness and you're just sitting there and you open up the refrigerator and you go what's left over and you stand there and you space out in front of the refrigerator going what should i have more carbs yeah that's one of my drugs of choice when i'm feeling bad what do you do and so if you can write in the chat, I am going to check my chat and see if anything is going on there. And 
nope, I don't see anything. And if you want to write something, if you want to send me a private message, I have my phone here so I can double check on that. And in fact, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's always good to, uh, to double check your stuff. Something else I want to bring up from a friend that was uh, very insightful. And, and I let her know that, too, that around this time of year, uh, kids ask a lot of questions. And they ask questions uh, like, is there really a Santa Claus? They might ask, uh, how come those people put up a Christmas tree and we don't? Or why aren't those people putting up a Christmas tree? It's sort of interesting for kids when they ask questions that are different, uh, different maybe even surrounding grief and death and different ages have different stages of grief. I don't talk about it a lot, but you know, growing up Jewish, one of the things I realized is we did not have a Christmas tree and other people did. I was sort of jealous. I mean, like Hanukkah candles were fun, but it's like, why do they get to do that? Why do they have more pretty colored nature things in their house and we don't? You might not think of that as a loss, but as a kid, I didn't get it. And it felt like a loss, like I was missing out on something. And talking about Santa with my family was not a good idea. <laughs> So I had to construct things in my mind based on television, based on my religion, based on the non-answers I might be getting from my family or the disengagement from my family. And it's sort of weird. It's like a weird loss. Sort of jump ahead to my grandmother died. I think I was seven or eight. And... My parents did not like me asking a lot of questions. Once again, even though I wasn't supposed to ask questions, I did ask questions. And so they sort of pushed me aside and had the neighbor come over and tell me that my grandparents had died. And she expected me to be sad. I'm six or seven. She expected that. And so she would tell me, like, it's okay to cry. Well, I didn't even know crying was an option. I didn't know what was going on. And so, anyway, what happened was they sent me off to a girlfriend's house. I never went to the funeral. And about a year later, when my grandfather died, they did the same thing. So I had to construct certain things in my head. And that's what kids do. You know, 
it was really cool. I, I really love how death education goes with my grandchildren. In one particular case, uh, when one of my grandkids was about, eh, maybe she was four, five, her goldfish died. Mom didn't know what to do. And so <laughs> she came home, she saw the floating fish and my daughter said to her, uh, my stepdaughter said something to the effect of, oh, uh, your fish died. And she goes, okay. And so we're going to put them in the garbage. And she goes, my granddaughter goes, bye-bye, fishy. Have a great time on the garbage truck, a nice ride on the garbage truck. No feelings of emotion or anything like that. And that's what I was talking about with a friend today. Many times it's the parents that have the what's going on inside of them regarding death. How do you, what goes on inside your mind as an adult and perhaps your fears or your non-fears or your biased opinions, which everybody has, depending on, you know, your religion, your faith. What do you do with a kid? How do you, how do you do healthy death education and grief education? And I was really happy with my friend today because she said, I have, I haven't figured it all out, which is usually the case. And then, especially if you're raising children, how do you talk to them about death? You never had to talk to your children about death. And this is your first goldfish or your hamster or, you know, your dog or your cat or your grandma or your grandpa or best friend. How do you talk about death at all these different stages? I, I learned something a long time ago from my own daughter. Better not to overshare. <laughs> when they ask something, they might mean something completely different than the scientific mind explanation you're going to give. And I just want to say it is really good to uh, minimize oversharing. Don't overshare. One time I'm riding with my granddaughter and she must be about eight years old. And the she had found my book, Grandma D's Bubbles, in the backseat of the car or something. She was reading it. And we were talking about that. And I, in that book, I just offer one perspective about what how you can explain death. I just offer one. And she says, you know, and she's eight. And she says, you know, I, I don't think I get very sad when someone or something dies. And I go, oh, tell me more. That's interesting. I use words like that. That's interesting. And she said, when I see the clouds open up 
with the sunlight coming through, I think a person goes to heaven and a baby gets bored. It's like an even exchange, she said. I go, wow, that's interesting. And she said, and for some reason, I didn't get really sad when my great grandma died. And I went, wow, that's interesting. I didn't ask her a lot of questions. I didn't want to challenge her on other things. And maybe down the road, she would have another idea. Another, another uh, grandchild recently said, oh, we found a dead mouse. He's eight. We found a dead mouse. My only concern was it in the house. And I said, oh, and I said, where did you find the mouse? And he said, oh, it was here in the backyard. I had a funeral for it. And I went, oh, well, that's cool. And he says, do you want to see it? And I go, sure. And he took me around by the alley. Oh, and there was this mouse, dead field mouse, with, <laughs> with all these alley stones around it in a circle. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet of you. And I said, did you want me to say a prayer for this mouse? And he said, sure. I said, because that's what you do at funerals. And he goes, okay. So then I had a, it was a stretch, but I said a prayer or a baruch over <laughs> this dead field mouse. You know, it's flat and squishy with an, its eyes open. And, and so then I got done and he said he died with his eyes open. And I said, you know, that happens with living things. Sometimes they die with their eyes open. So I affirmed for him that that is normal. The next thing was a, uh, as we were walking away, he goes, sometimes humans die with their eyes open. Or maybe I said that. And he said, I know. One of us said it. And I said, oh, how did you find out? And he goes, I don't know. And that was the end. Kids need to be affirmed in their version of loss to correct them and say, Oh, no, that mouse went to heaven. Really? Correcting someone's version while they're making meaning of that loss right there in their own way. Or perhaps they don't have a meaning yet. And they're not asking you for one. They're just telling you the facts. And you go, oh, you are a witness to their retelling of the story. And that's important. It's important to, hmm, what do I want to say? Be present. And if you can admit to yourself that you don't have it figured out, good for you. No one says you have to figure out death. No one says you have to figure out grief. I'll tell you what not to say. You don't say to that kid, oh, that's gross. Because it's not gross. It's life. And if you want to use, yeah, life is messy. Life can look gross. I mean, 
to tell the truth when my own daughter was about 10. And <laughs> oh, she's quite a bit older now. But when she was 10, and she hands me her dead hamster or gerbil, puts it in my hand. She just reaches right in there, picks out the stiff carcass right in my hand and says, Mom, would you wrap it in a pretty cloth and put this in the ground and let's have a funeral? I'm like, sure. And then I put the, when she's out of the room and I go, Ugh. <laughs> don't show them you're grossed out. Don't show them that. Just play along. And that is healthy. They'll have enough unanswered questions down the road. Right now, keep things simple. I have to tell you a loss in my life, and I know this might sound completely odd, but Mickey Mouse was real to me. I didn't have a problem with Santa. I had a problem with Mickey Mouse. And when I was five years old, I had already been to Disneyland a couple times because my um, my grandparents lived out in California, so we would go to Disneyland. And when my aunt told me, oh, no, he's not real. There's a person in a Mickey Mouse suit saying all those things to you. My whole world was shattered. I was like, so confused. No, Mickey Mouse is real. And I love him and he loves me. That was my first boyfriend, first big crush, Mickey Mouse. I, I didn't know what to do. I was sick for days. Now, it wasn't something you told your parents, except I know I asked a number of times, really? Mickey Mouse isn't real? Because my reality shifted. And that was really hard. And then I could sit with that and process that. And, okay, I'm 64. I get it. Mickey Mouse isn't real. You know, another thing that happens when you find out something isn't real the way you suppose it is, It takes a while to shift. It's a loss. When you find out your particular view and your reality isn't what you thought it was, it takes a while to shift. And in that shift, you sort of have some grief and cognitive dissonance and you don't want to believe. And it happens to adults too. And it happens to kids. And the best thing you can do for an adult or a child is wait. Like I said, maybe some of you out there didn't have uh, your reality was shaken when you found out Santa was an old guy in a suit. And then maybe someone said, hey, guess what? Your uh the spirit of Christmas is there. I mean, parents have to come up with a lot of... Why is Santa over on this street corner and why is he in that shopping mall? They've had to come up with a lot of... Oh, well, Santa can be every place. Or the real Santa hires a lot of people. 
It's really one of his elves. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're finding out for the first time, I hope not, that uh, babies don't grow in your belly. Maybe there's more involved, you know. <laughs> I hope you're, you've learned that already I'm, <laughs> if you're listening. But what's so important is whatever someone's reality is right there when they're finding out the loss, it's important to just be with them. It's important to let that sink in. It's important to let that just be. And it's important to let people know you're here if you need them. Maybe it's important to check in. Uh, there's been several people in my life that have become widows uh, very quickly. And they were, one was expecting it. And then there were others that were not. And you check in. And just like I'm checking in with you, or Jill would have checked in with you to say, hey, guess what? How are you doing? Not guess what, but how are you doing after the holiday? That's really important. What are you doing after? How are you feeling after? I mean, it was a loss enough that you couldn't be with your family. Or maybe now the loss starts. I hope no, none of us were infected if you chose to be with them. So it's good to check in with yourself and be reflective. How am I doing today? What's going on? That's, that's a self-reflective idea that is That's a certain awareness. As I complimented my friend, good for you for saying, I don't even know how I feel about things dying. I don't even have it. I don't know how I feel after Thanksgiving and, you know, so-and-so died during the year and I'm not with so-and-so. You know, in any case, it's important to be, like I said, self-reflective. Wow. I am going to try to get in if you can give me just a second. You know, I'm old. I can't do more than two things at a time. And uh, let's see. Oh, let's go right here and see if anybody's been uh, writing. And then maybe I can answer a few questions or check in with a few of you. There you go. Four comments. Yeah. Uh, Terry. Hi, Terry. When I was growing up, kids always joined the adults at funerals and wakes. It was just a part of everyday life. You know, I wish more people could think of things like that. But through the years, we've sort of sanitized death, especially here in Western culture. Uh, you know, people just didn't do that. And it was whatever. So those, those adults are coming to see me now. See, 
and they still have questions, like questions from when they were younger. So thank you, Terry, for pointing that out. Yes, before you knew, and they didn't have funeral homes. They maybe laid you out on a couple chairs, covered you up, made you look pretty as best they could, and um, which is still sanitizing death, right? And they laid you out there in the middle of your living room, right? And, but then there was money to be made with coffins and burying people, and it became a business. I mean, even in ancient Judaism, uh, people who took care of the dead were put out to camp for 30 days because there was something a little unclean about it. And maybe at those times, it was. That's why, the, that's why in Leviticus and a couple other places in the Old Testament, it talks about burying people within three days. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how it is. Um, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who very Jewish, did not get buried within three days. So there's, there's other ways of doing that. And not all religions uh, bury you within a certain amount of time. One of the things I like that uh, Jewish people do, maybe they do it for other religions, but I know Jews, what they do at the cemetery is they have you uh, help bury the dead. Maybe you bring a shovel and you throw a shovel full of dirt. Sometimes there's shovels there, or maybe you throw some dirt onto the casket. So you help bury the dead and it makes it just a little more uh, relevant and present time. So, uh, <laughs> Douglas Muirhead wrote, because uh, I said, how was your Thanksgiving? Or I'm not sure why he wrote it, but darn, that Dutch apple pie sounds really good. Thanks, Kathy, for, uh, for commenting. I appreciate that. And uh, that is what I wanted to talk about today, that if you have questions, if you are still as an adult trying to figure out what, what does it mean when something dies? And what does it mean to me when something dies? Jill and I both have said, a bunch of times. Just because the body dies does not mean your relationship has died. It has changed, but it hasn't necessarily died. It hasn't gone away. I'm sure many of you know that. As uh, maybe you talk to your loved ones in your heart, in your head, or it comes out of your mouth. Ah, next week, let me tell you about next week, December 4th. Woohoo! We are going to have my friend Alan Klein, who is actually going to be launching another book. But one of his, uh, well, actually, let me say this Alan Klein was the first person I knew who wrote about death and grief in a way I could really relate to. And when I found his book, Courage to Laugh, 
I, it gave permission for me to be who I am and that my beliefs were valid, that I could take a moment and laugh with the person that was dying, with the person who was grieving, and it could arise sort of organically, you could play, and that every time someone's dying is not, you have to be sad. Sadness does not have to come up first. And guess what? I also learned you can be sad and happy at the same time. That was his uh, first book. Alan, look him up. Alan Klein, he's written many books. But another great one he put out a couple of years ago was um, Embracing Life and Loss. And let me see if I can pull that up right away. I can read that book for sure. Let's see. No, I don't have it right up here. I'm sorry I don't have it here. But he, I, you're just going to love him. He tells some great stories. And he'll tell you about his newest book coming out too. So I just want to thank everybody here for uh, participating. Thank you. And we'll be saving this and reposting and just have a good week. And I am looking forward to seeing all of you and Alan and Jill next week uh, on uh, Facebook Live with Humor, Grace, and Grief. Thanks so much for participating. See you next week. Bye-bye.